Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. By the waters of Babylon we wept when we sat down, O Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Newark, New Jersey to be specific, I was spending another summer with my grandparents. That's where I had been born, and that's where they still live. I had been raised as an Episcopalian. My grandmother was an Episcopalian. My grandfather, a militant atheist, who uh, humored my piety. But grandma went to the same church my dad had gone to, and she had gone to St. James, which was dying and was a little boring. At one time, my dad had been a fireman in Newark, and his hook and ladder company, one truck, was like a two-minute walk from Grace Episcopal Church in Newark. Grace, for those of you who know what this means, was one of the original Oxford Movement parishes in America. It was built in 1845, which for us made it ancient. And he talked about having gone there. They had something they called Mass. He went to the early Mass because if he left right after communion, he could still get to the firehouse if they'd start his shift. So I figured I would go down there one time. My grandmother wouldn't go. She was afraid she would do something wrong. You know, this place had a reputation of being very, very Anglo-Catholic, very high church. So I went down just during the week one time. Doors of the church were open. I walked inside. Somebody was fiddling with the organ in the loft. And for the first time in my life, I knew God had a smell. They had been using incense so long it had literally been sucked into the woodwork. You could, you didn't, it didn't have to burn. You just smelt it when you walked into the building. <clears throat> For the first time, I knew God came in color. Because the church that I had gone to had been kind of 1950s modern, uh, with uh, padded pews, usually green. Uh, I figured that was the only color God had. Maybe a cross at the end of the building. but. Here, there was gold, there was red, there were blues. Around the altar, around the rude screen, you know, in the choir area. You know. I mean, it was amazing. And then I came there on Sunday and found out that God had a sound. It's called chant. And it sounded like nothing I had ever heard sung in church before. Yeah, they did hymns too. But the Gregorian chant was just a trip. I mean, it took me places I had never been in church before. And you can put that down as my conversion experience. I was converted because I suddenly realized that God was beautiful. Oh, I've been very faithful up until that, but now I realize this was something you could participate in and be transformed by. Culture is an important issue of faith. And it is something that every Christian should be concerned about. Especially for those of us who work in the Western Rite, we are working for the restoration of a culture rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition. 
That has shaped, in fact, Western civilization for thousands of years, and that can still communicate the gospel to inheritors of that culture. I don't think I'm alone in feeling that something is wrong with what is passing for culture in our time. Certainly those who dominate the media, education, and Hollywood seem determined to remove the last vestiges of the Judeo-Christian tradition, with many Christians disliking what is replacing it, and many Christians apparently going along seeing no issues whatsoever. The Orthodox Church has traditionally moved from culture to culture, wherever it has been, going from the Middle East to Greece, up into Russia, all over the world, and taking from each culture it encounters that which is best. Music, art, and appropriating it, baptizing it, if you will, and using that as a means of singing the Lord's song in a strange land. I see a lot of the evolving culture which seems bad and ugly, but I do not blame it on globalization or industry or mass production as some would. Indeed, I think the primary reason for the cultural confusion we are in is first and foremost our own failure to be faithful and to be examples that encourage others to be faithful as well. What is culture? It is the emergent pattern of activity associated with a society of people that manifests and in turn sustains and nurtures the core beliefs, values, and priorities of that society. The core beliefs of Roman society were very different from that of the Christian society that followed it. It was a slave-supported economy. They could not have expanded the empire and survived without slavery. And although it wasn't probably Simon Legree in Mississippi, it was still not pleasant to be a slave. And in fact, families weren't that far from it. A Roman father had the right to sell his own children into slavery. And every one of us has thought about it who has children at one time or another. He could divorce his wife simply by saying, I divorced you, unless she was a patrician woman. She had certain rights if she had that. Infanticide was rife. Abortion was rife. The father had the right, if he didn't like the children he got, the child he got, the infant he got, who was too ugly or too loud or too crying, had too much colic, just take it down to the marketplace and set it out somewhere. If somebody would pick it up and take it home so much, the better. If not, it died. He got pecked to death by birds or whatever. It was not a society that was filled with compassion. It was not a culture that was compassionate. It was not a culture that was concerned about life. It was a culture that liked to go to their version of the NFL on Sunday and watch people cut each other up with swords. It was a very violent society. The core values developed after that, after Christianity really got soaked into the culture, was radically different. We can apply it to a society, a nation, or a subgroup within a society. We can refer to a cafe culture, a drug culture, a youth culture, a Christian culture, a Western culture, a secular culture, or any combination of them, like a cowboy cafe culture. We care about culture because we see in it something that influences our worldview. And we are comfortable in a culture that reflects our views, and when we see one, we see it as pleasing. We feel at home in it. 
A culture with a worldview that is different or changing makes us feel alienated and less secure, especially about the future. Let me give you one historical example. For the first 60 years of Christianity, the church was a group of Jews talking to other Jews about a Jew whom they called Jesus and whom they believed the Messiah, to be the Messiah and even God. They were working within an identifiable culture. Everyone spoke the same language. And whether other Jews agreed with them or not, they understood what they were saying. They got the biblical references. They all had heard the same prophecies. They just disagreed with this guy being the Messiah. Then, of course, persecution came, and Jewish Christians in many cases fled to other cities, like our mother church of Antioch, there were more, which was more cosmopolitan and diverse, as we like to say in these days, sort of like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. There was a large body of Jews there, but they were Jews who had been raised away from Jerusalem. They had been raised in a Greek culture rather than a Jewish one. Their Hebrew was usually non-existent, which is why they had to translate the Old Testament into Greek. Furthermore, there were religious groups from all over the Roman Empire there, from Zoroastrian to followers of Mithra, with all their own tongues and worship. So our Jewish Christian forebears show up and trying to share the gospel, started talking about the Messiah using the Old Testament as a background. And even amongst the Grecified Jews, very few people knew precisely what they were talking about. They didn't know Hebrew. They didn't know what Mashiach meant. How do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, you baptize the culture of that land. You teach, worship, and pray in Greek, making it the language of theology and of learning. Suddenly, the market share becomes huge. You could say the same thing about art, music, and architecture. You impact a culture with what is part of the culture. You convert a culture from within, as long as it is good and beautiful. Because anything that is good and beautiful is, by definition, orthodox. This is why culture is or should be a battleground. I say that because the cultural Marxists are fighting for it to change, while those who should be concerned about faith and freedom have often waved the white flag, abstaining from the fight altogether, or simply going over to the enemy. Most polls show that a majority of Orthodox Christians support abortion, support gay marriage, and have bought into the myth of gender transfer. It's what the culture does. We're immigrants here. We've got to get into the culture. So they adopt all the worst parts of it. Culture comes before law. Political and legal battles are won long before issues get to the elections and to courts. Beauty is our weapon. The beauty of our worship, the beauty of our teaching, and the beauty of our individual lives. Beauty has the potential to sidestep prejudice that would exist if we used reason alone. Its tendency is to draw people to the good, those values which we tend to associate with fair freedom, fairness, and faith in society, and ultimately toward God. If we are to win the battle against the culture of death, we must fight for the beauty of culture of beauty. This is because a culture of beauty speaks to those, to us, of a culture of love. 
an aggregated love of the personal relationships of all those who contribute to it. If it speaks of love, it speaks of freedom and faith. For there is no love without freedom, and love is most strong when joined with faith. The more a society is regulated beyond what is minimally necessary to preserve personal freedom, the more it restricts the flourishing of beauty, and the more ugliness and plastic we will see. Whether the cause is socialism or chronic capitalism or a decline in faith, the ugliness will abound. It is the church, the mystical body of Jesus Christ, who redeemed, fully redeemed, that draws the roadmap for each of us to use our freedom well. It will never be fully realized in this life, although we get an excellent glimpse of it in the church's worship. We must work for a society whose form is that of the transfigured Christ. That is why every Orthodox church, whether in a small storefront like this with limited resources, or a large cathedral with all the bells and whistles, must strive to offer worship that is good, true, and beautiful, because the God that we worship is, wait for it, goodness, truth, and beauty. The greatest contribution that you and I can make is to play our part. We can be transfigured by participation in grace and the sacraments. Any effort we make arises from this. When we partake of the divine nature, we become pixels of light, individual photons that contribute to the fullness of God's life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.